Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Christ the Teacher, Teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your co-host. And I'm Kyle Pietrantonio. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Steve Minnis, uh, the president of Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. President Minnis is an alumnus of Benedictine, class of 1982. He went on to receive a JD from Washburn University in 1985 and an MBA from Baker University in 1993. Prior to his position as president at Benedictine in 2004, he began his law career in the county prosecutor's office for Johnson County, Kansas, and held the position of director, state regulatory, and general attorney for 14 years with the Sprint Corporation. President Minnis, welcome to Follow to Lead. Great. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I'm honored to be uh, on this podcast. Thanks. Well, President Minnis, again, we're really glad that you're with us today. And as we begin our time, you have an extensive background in law. How in the world did you end up president of a Catholic college? Well, that's a that's a great question. I always have a weird path to uh, college presidency. Uh, most people are, uh, you know, highly intellectual. They get their PhD and they rise to this level. So I, uh, you, you heard a little bit of my background. I'm an attorney. And when I was at Sprint uh, for 14 years, 12 of the last 14, I was on the board of directors of Benedictine College, which was my alma mater. And I was proud to serve that. Uh, and then when my predecessor left, I went to the chair and I said, hey, I don't have any experience for this job. You guys would be idiots to hire me. And they did. And that was 16 years ago and they haven't got rid of me yet. So <laughs> I'm honored to be here. And we've been really blessed. Uh, uh, we've been really blessed since we've been here, but uh, it's been, there's, I probably, uh, this is a lot better job than the law. I can tell you that. And, and uh, we had, you know, we had a, a easy decision. So when this, opportunity came about, we asked ourselves, well, I could retire as a regulatory lawyer for, you know, a multinational corporation, or I could take a job where you have an opportunity to impact young people. Well, when you put it that way, it's pretty easy, you know. President Minnis, you've been at Benedictine now, as you said, for nearly 17 years. Um, and during that time, I'm guessing there's no doubt uh, in your mind that these past 12 months or so have been among the most unique and likely most challenging of, of your professional career, from issues ranging uh, from racial tension to the global pandemic uh, to the hotly contested national election 
Can you tell us a little bit about what has been some of the hardest adjustment um, in this last year for you as a Catholic uh, president of a uh, university? Sure. The first thing I'll tell you is that um, it's we're in a situation where it's not like there are no right answers. It's that every answer is wrong. Everything there, there's no expert on this. And anybody that acts like they know what they're doing, it, you know that they're making it up because we're all making it up as we go along. But one of the things that I reminded our community when the fall started was, OK, look, we've got this. Uh, this type of a crisis is in our DNA. We were found, Benedictine College was founded in 1858. Think about that, three years before the Civil War on the Kansas and Missouri border. Not a great place to start anything, okay, but the monks were tough and wanted to start a school for the Lord's service. And uh, you, you think about our longevity. So we survived the Civil War. Uh, and and uh, that that was not insignificant. Eighty percent of all the colleges and universities in America that were founded before the Civil War don't exist anymore. Uh, and they closed their doors for one reason or another. But we survived the Civil War. We survived the Spanish flu, uh, the uh, two world wars, the Great Depression, the civil unrest of the 60s, the um, uh, financial burdens of the 70s and 80s. And so when this crisis came along, we, we uh, said, hey, we've got this. We've done this in the past. We can do this today as well. But one of the things that I think that probably I suspect people are listening already have figured out, well, one of the things that we said was when, we, when this crisis came, we kept reading all these stories and people were talking about, oh, there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers that come out of this out of this crisis. And we said we wanted to be one of the winners. And, and so what we said to ourselves was, we think winners will do one of three things. I mean, uh, the, the winners will do these three things. Number one, they'll be prepared for the crisis. They will have put themselves in a position of strength when the crisis came. Secondly, they'll be prepared for the end of the crisis. In other words, we didn't want to wake up one day and says, oh, hey, it's over. What do we do now? So we've been, we, you have to prepare for the end of the crisis. And third and most importantly is that you can't, you have to strictly adhere to your mission during the crisis. Those that will not survive or be successful when the crisis is over will be those that said, oh my gosh, we're in a crisis. Let's do something different. Let's move away from our mission and try to survive this way. Uh, only those that continue to embrace their mission uh, are going to be winners out of this. So that's kind of how we approach this from the very beginning. From the standpoint of mission, did you have to modify how you express that mission in the lives of the students? You know what? That is an, an amazing question because our mission is uh, our, we have. Uh, I always talk about our mission in pictures, but we have four pillars to our mission. We're a Catholic college, a Benedictine college, a liberal arts college, and a residential college. And that's our foundation. But And it supports our mission to educate our students within a community of faith and scholarship. So community, faith, and scholarship are our, 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 our mission. And this is really a, a fascinating question, Father, because we believe that the pandemic directly uh, attacked our mission, okay? Our mission of community, okay, gosh. Uh, first off, they made you stay in your homes. You weren't able to, you had, you had to distance, you have to wear a mask. 
basically they're saying, we don't want you to be around people. Oh my gosh, you know, humans are social beings. We need each other to be fully alive. And now they're telling us we can't do that. Secondly, it directly attacked our faith. Okay. So it said, Hey, you can't go to mass. You can't get the sacraments. Uh, you have to roll out of bed and you can watch it on TV, but that's about it. Okay. And so that was truly impactful. In fact, we said, when, when our kids came back in the fall, we said, look, we have students coming back that have not been to mass since March, okay, because of where they live. So it was really incumbent upon us uh, to do that. And finally, it attacked scholarship. I mean, it took kids out of the classroom, put them in their mom and dad's basement on screens, and uh, that's a terrible way to educate these young people. So to your question, we had to work, you know, doubly as hard to embrace our mission during the pandemic. And even though we have to wear masks, I mean, we, we had to ask ourselves every day, how do you build community in this pandemic? Secondly, how do you bring your students closer to Christ in this pandemic? And finally, how do you educate these young people uh, in this pandemic uh, where some, some of the classes still have to be online? Th this has not been very easy for us, but, Moving away from the mission was not never the answer. The answer always was, how do you do it even in the midst of that? It's been tough. Yeah, I know several high schools, you know, that I'm around, we have that same challenge. And uh, like you, we just had to modify how we express the mission, but especially community life was really, that took a big hit. Oh, it's terrible. And then education. I mean, we all, everybody knows online education is not as good. And in fact, we, I, we kept reminding our, our, uh, everybody that was asking is, why are you going face to face? And, and I'd always remind them, look, at Plato started his academy in 300 BC, okay? And he educated young people within a community of scholarship for 900 years. And, you know, John Paul II says, there's no coincidences with God. On the year that Plato ended his academy, St. Saint Benedict opened Monte Cassino, and he began educating young people within a community of faith and scholarship. But generally, this community-based learning, face-to-face -face learning, stretches back over 2,400 years. It works, okay? Just because we're in the pandemic doesn't mean that that historical understanding of how you educate young people in the best manner for us within a community of faith and scholarship, uh, it works. And so you just can't walk away from that. And you have to fight for it all the time because our kids know, our parents know, uh, online, online learning does, is not as effective. It just isn't. President Minnis, you and your family currently live in Atchison, Kansas. Uh, is that where you're from originally? Tell us a bit about your, your own upbringing. Oh, sure. I, I, I'm afraid I'm one of these guys that kind of, lived pretty close to uh, uh, each other their whole life. My father was a high school baseball coach, and I grew up in Kansas City, Kansas. And then when I was nine, we moved to St. Joseph, Missouri, which is only about 25 minutes away from Atchison, and he became a college baseball coach. And so then when it came time to go to college, all I went to a Catholic high school in St. Joseph, Missouri, run by the Benedictine sisters. Uh, whenever they wanted to hire a lay person, they would call Benedictine and say, who do you got that's a good basketball coach? And they'd hire that person. And so everybody I 
uh, was taught by in high school was a Benedictine. So I thought, well, I don't really have any options here. I better go to Atchison. Moved here. My wife is from Seneca, Kansas, which is only an hour and a half away. So we're pretty pretty uh, stable here. But we lived in Kansas City, of course, for 20 years before we moved uh, moved up here. As you uh, began your work as president, as you said, uh, you were making this move in from being in private sector, being a lawyer, and, and then the college president. Did you have any mentors that you looked to for guiding you in terms of fitting into your new role? Uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's really a great question. It, that's, that was probably pretty hard for me. Uh, one of the things that, well, first off, before, before I left Sprint, I actually met with every executive at Sprint just to kind of ask them. In addition to that, we have some pretty high-powered CEOs that were friends of the college that uh, whose we have buildings named after them. I sat down with each one of them, asked them about leadership. How do you run an organization? One of the things that probably I learned first and foremost is that running a college is more, how can I say, a more legislative leadership than executive leadership. In other words, it's more like a governor of a state than it is a uh, CEO of a, of a corporation. And what I mean by that is I've got one quarter of my employees that I can't um, threaten with firing. Okay. So they have tenure and they're great faculty members and we wouldn't have given them tenure if they didn't have faculty members, but uh, you know, there's no fear there, right? <laughs> a reprisal, they don't do what I ask them to do. So it's, it's, it's hard, much like the governor has to work with the legislator to try to get everybody on board, moving in the same direction. That's what we have to do here. Uh, it's, I don't actually, if I hadn't had the background in the, with the Benedictines and understanding how to build community, this would have been a pretty hard transition, I think. But uh, understanding that and really not being a type of person that, really wants to say, do this, do that. Anyway, uh, I, I'd rather rather try to find, form consensus, find common ground, and move forward that way. It, so it really worked more with my personality, but it's different, and it was different from the people that was mentoring me, you know, so you have to learn that. Well, one of the things about being an alumnus, too, is that you could always call back to your mind those things that went on when you were a student and say, well, let's see, how did they do that? <laughs> That's right. I, in fact, first day of uh, school when I got hired, I, I, uh, I pointed out to my political science professor who was still teaching here. I, I said, you know, uh, when I was in college, you said, don't go to law school because if you go to law school, you'll never find a job. And, and I said, who would have known that 20 years later, I'm back here. I'm your boss. Right. <laughs> so I, I said, I did find a job, you know, if I go to law school. But it was kind of interesting uh, uh, now being the president and having some of the teachers that I had while I was in college still here. It was kind of neat, actually. Reflecting on your tenure, President Menace, at, at Benedictine um, over the last 16 or so years now, what has been the biggest hurdle or, or professional setback you've encountered, and, and how did you navigate through that? We've had, uh, you know, like any like any job, you're going to have some ups and downs. Uh, whenever I feel down, I walk outside and I start talking to the students because they're the most amazing people you can ever imagine. I just love them and they give you energy. So whenever I think, oh gosh, what, why did I ever do this? 
you just look at the students you think okay that's an easy answer we've had uh issues as they've gone along uh some uh some faculties uh, members have not uh, been excited about decisions that I've made, uh, and so uh, so we've had uh, we've had those kind of a con those controversies. Sometimes I want to move a little faster, I think, than others are ready to move, and so that's created a little pushback too. We always say, um, it, whenever there's issues on campus, then it must be spring because for some reason. Things happen in the springtime, and so, um, but I'll, I'll tell you just a really quick story because Father Michael Gately uh, always says, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he, he's written the 33 Days of Morning Glory. He's written the, you know, the Consecration to Our Lady books, and uh, he always says that when you do a consecration to Our Lady, that she always gives you a cross to bear, but that, uh, that you're always given a cross, but that she actually in ultimately makes it, a, makes it sweet, okay? So, but that doesn't mean you still won't have this cross for a period of time. We always do uh, consecrations uh, in November, November the 5th to December the 8th, every year on our campus. I always re-consecrate myself to Our Lady during that period of time. But the cabinet has gotten to the point and says, Steve, please, no more consecrations. Okay, the college can't handle any more of your crosses, all right? So they begged me not to, to go through a reconsecration. I said, but Mary always makes them sweet. It always works out fine, you know, but anyway. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, kind of in that same realm, uh, again, as the president, you're building coalitions, you're building consensus. Um, <clears throat> you can't just say, you know, thus saith the Lord, and and move forward very well. I'd like to, but uh, actually, being being married to my wife uh, for thirty some years, I, I know that that never works. So it never worked at home. I don't know why I thought it was ever going to work here. Right? That's true. <laughs> yeah. So, in in the midst of all that, what what keeps you up at night in terms of your burdens? I'm I'm constantly worried about our students. I'm worried about whether students will. Uh, you know, you, you worry about enrollment, and so you, you're constantly asking Our Lady to help us uh, with enrollment. You're constantly uh, wanting success for the college. But probably the thing that makes me most worried is is how what we're doing with our students on our campus. We are we feel like our job is to form them in the mission. You know, community, faith, and scholarship. And so I'm constantly. If anything keeps me up, it's what can we do to continue to build the mission with our students? And the reason I say that is I tell our kids all the time, we ask you to live the mission of community faith and scholarship on our campus, not for us. We ask you to do it so you'll live the mission after you leave. And what I mean by that is after they graduate, that they'll understand the power of community, that the whole is stronger than its individual parts, and that working together is the best way to get things accomplished, that, that they will uh, have a close and personal relationship with Jesus Christ and understand that true happiness comes from doing God's will. And then finally, that they'll be lifelong learners, that they'll be, because of the liberal arts background here, they'll be competent in their field, they'll be able to analyze problems, communicate them well, and make good decisions. So living community, faith, and scholarship here, so they'll live it after they leave. And if anything that keeps me awake is, are we doing the job that we need to do to form these young people in community faith and scholarship? And so that's what I worry about most of all. 
President Minnis, related to the to the enrollment uh, uh, piece, it seems like there's going to be a, a little bit of an enrollment cliff for higher ed in the next five or six years, where that nadir of a birth rate is going to catch up to those entering um, freshman year of college. How how are you all planning for that next um, potential crisis, particularly for small uh, liberal arts schools? Right. You, so you're right on top of that. In fact, uh, when I came became the president about 16 years ago or so, one of the things that we saw is that the no, number of college age students was going to be de decreasing in the United States. And actually, what we noticed is that in the Midwest and the Northeast, but for our purposes, the Midwest, it was going to decrease at a faster rate than it, than at other places. And so we said to ourselves, okay, well, we can't sit here and be seen as a regional college. We have to be seen as a national college so we can attract students from all over the country that, that want this type of an education. So we really, really worked hard in doing that. And we really pushed our mission. Uh, I think that we uh, started getting a national reputation because of our Catholic identity. And that's really made a big difference for us. I think then, then now that that Catholic identity is solidified and now you're starting to see our reputation for our academic programs, our athletic programs and our faith. I mean, not our faith programs, but our just general community kind of seeping out as well. Uh, and so they people saw us as being kind of unique for a small liberal arts college. So we we started uh, programs like engineering. So we uh, and architecture. In fact, there's only four Catholic universities in America that have both engineering and architecture, uh, Detroit, Mercy, Catholic U, Notre Dame, and Benedictine College. So those are kind of unique programs, uh, not just for liberal arts colleges, small liberal arts colleges, but also Catholic colleges. And when that reputation gets out, people start coming to us. I'll give you an example. Most small liberal arts colleges and state universities will have 65% of their students from their home state. Uh, we only have 20% of our students are from Kansas. So we get students from all over the country and that's really uh, made a big difference. But we, we also, know, as we started looking at the data and you've looked at it too, because you're in the high school realm. So you're gonna start seeing uh, the number of high school students in the United States beginning to decrease in 2022, we're going to start seeing that decrease in 2026. Okay. And so we have to be prepared for that. Part of that is going to, not only are there going to be less students, but uh, how can I say this? Students that have the least ability to, to pay a, for a private education is also going to decrease. So you get the double whammy. And so we will, uh, and so you're going to see that too in high school starting in a couple of years. And so what are you doing to prepare yourself? Uh, we know that we have to uh, strengthen our endowment, especially endowed scholarships, because this, more students will be needy. Uh, and probably just this notion of creating a national reputation has helped us. Because I think in, in Atlanta, for example, you're probably not going to see the decrease. In the South, um, uh, there hasn't been, there, there won't be as, as big of a fall off in the South and in the West as there are going to be in the Midwest and the Northeast. So. Just kind of widening our scope, President Minnis, what, what do you think is the greatest need that you see for Catholic school teachers, whether they're college, high school, elementary, what do you see as a great need that they might have today? I think 
that I think that, you know, we, you'd always like to say, okay, hey, an emphasis on the fundamentals, the three R's rewriting. But actually, I think that the, the most difficult and the most important thing that we can do is strengthen culture. Uh, we, in fact, uh, we, we are embarking just this semester on a new strategic plan. For 160 years, we've done strategic plans that really have kind of emphasized ourselves. Okay, what can we do to make ourselves better? And we started asking ourselves, as a Catholic institution, shouldn't we really be asking not how can we be, make ourselves better, but actually what kind of a force for good can we be in the world? And I know that as Catholic high schools that are members of this organization, this is what you ask yourself every day, too, that you can't be thinking about yourself, that as a Catholic institution, we have to be thinking about how can we serve others, okay? And so after all of that, then we, we said, what, what's more important, us or the culture? Well, we, we're, we're concerned with the culture. So our, our new strategic plan really is to transform culture in America. And we believe you transform culture through our mission of community, faith, and scholarship. And so I guess what I'd say for, for teachers out there, uh, it's the most difficult thing that you have to address, but it's the most important thing that you have to address is what kind of a culture are we creating for our young people to be able to live in, to be able to seek Christ and do the things that they need to do. Uh, and that is probably the most important thing that it's, a, it's our biggest worry right now. President Minnis, you've gotten some of our kind of glow-in-the-dark graduates of our schools at Benedict, and I'm curious how you might describe um, some of the ideal attributes of a, of a Catholic high school graduate and what you're looking for. Well, we've been really blessed. The, the kids that come from your schools transition to our school very well, and the reason they transition is because they are immersed in this environment because I think that you kind of have the same ultimate goal as we do, which is get our students to heaven and what what are we doing to have them be saints and get to heaven and that's probably the best best things that we can do is prepare them for that so th these are uh, leaders in the field uh, they love christ uh, and they are uh, willing to kind of understand how to work together trying to try to change culture I, that's these, these kids are kids we get from your high schools are really amazing. There's easily my favorite kids. And, and, and let me tell you why this is important too, because you, you probably appreciate this. So in, in the late 1950s, uh, early 1960s, in the, in the United States, for every two people that received a college degree, one person retired. So what that means is basically the workforce was being doubled every year by college graduates. Today, however, for every one person that receives a college degree, two people retire. What that means then is that these young people that you're teaching in your high schools today, the young people that we are educating in colleges today, will be asked to take on leadership roles in organizations faster than any generation in the history of this country. Okay, so they need to be prepared to take on those leadership roles. Uh, we take that pretty seriously. I know that your high schools, the, the things that you're doing in your high schools, you take that seriously too. America needs great leaders. Uh, and it's our duty, it's our job to create those, those leaders that have high character, uh, that are competent in their field, and just as importantly, have this commitment to greatness, this, this vision to take people to uh, levels higher than they ever imagined. That's really the, probably the most important thing that we can do. So. And kind of looking at uh, not just the product of those that come into your school, 
uh, your college, but looking at the product of those who leave, one of the benefits of being in the Kansas City metropolitan area, I have a whole bunch of Benedictines uh, alumnus that are teaching at St. Michael here. And one of the things when we hire, we're a mission-driven school. And so what's one of the big things we wanna look at and we'll look at the transcript and it will say Benedictine College and we'll go up, oh, they get it, they get it. And so, uh, you know, just as a user of your product, I just want to thank you for your hard work there. Well, thanks. Thanks for hiring our kids, too. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, they have a job after they graduate. But uh, is when you look at your graduates, what kind of goes through your mind uh, as you look to the, the what they can contribute to the world? Again, it kind of comes back to our mission as well. Do they uh, are they? Um, Will they have good character? Will they be, uh, you know, because of the liberal arts that we provide in them will be competent in their field. This is also another interesting thing about what's happening to our young people today. We, we kind of think that they're becoming kind of information rich, but analysis poor. They're getting bombarded by tons of information every day. They can pull out their phone, get a website anywhere around the world. The question is, is that when they bombarded by that information, can they, can they analyze it and make good decisions. So, so when you're out there hiring students, hire them from liberal arts colleges because we kind of think that if if they have a foundation in art and literature and uh, English and history and science and math and philosophy and theology, well, when they are bombarded by this ton of this information, well, now they've got a foundation to pull from to be able to analyze that make good decisions that 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 is really critical in today's world because those teachers are impacting uh, you know the next generation as well so so those are the, those are some of the qualities that we're we're looking for we want to we want to uh, move them from where they are today so then they will uh, be ready to to promote the, the mission after they leave so President Minnis, we have some parents who listen to the program, and um, some are discerning whether or not to choose Catholic schools, Catholic education for their own children, or to keep them in Catholic schools. Uh, what might you say to those parents who are discerning that decision? Well, I think it's a really hard, uh, uh, very important decision. We talk, we say all the time to our young people, um, this is not a four-year decision for you. This is a 40 or 50-year decision. Things that happen to you in college will be really impact you the rest of your life, okay? <laughs> Actually, I get an 18-year-old kid in my, my uh, uh, office all the time. I say, listen, except for your spouse, this, this is probably the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life, you know, at age 18, seriously. But, um, but um, th what I tell young people all the time, and I'll tell parents too, that recent sociological studies have come out and they tell you that three things happen to young people while they're in college. But basically between the ages of 18 to 23, these three things happen to them. And so these things need to be kept in mind when they're looking at schools. Number one, they're gonna develop lifelong relationships. People they go to college with will be their friends for life. They have a chance of meeting their spouse in college. They, uh, a professor or a coach who will be a mentor, 
the rest of their life, okay? That really happens in college. So when they go looking at, at schools, look around. <clears throat> Do you want to develop lifelong relationships with the people that go to school here or the faculty members that teach here or the, or the coaches that they hire? If not, then this is not gonna be a good place for you because that will happen to you. Happened to me, I went to Benedict, I met my spouse here, obviously. My, some of my best friends, two guys, one lives in Memphis, one lives in St. Louis. I talk to them on the phone every week. I tell the kids, I say, you can tell how old I am because I still use the phone to talk to people, okay, uh, instead of just text them. So anyway, so that does happen. Okay, the second thing that happens is you make the faith your own. That even if you have a strong foundation, okay, in the faith, which I'm sure if you're, you're if they're sending the, those uh, to your schools. They have that strong foundation. They got a great foundation in high school. Young people still will go a period in your life where they're going to ask the really important questions about what their relationship is with Jesus Christ, what their relationship is with the church. And so if you're not at a place that is there to help them answer those questions, um, like a good theology department, a good philosophy department, a great campus ministry department, great priests to provide spiritual direction, et cetera, well, the kids will leave. And we know that because a different study, the Pew Research study, will tell you 80% of the young people that go to college today have an active faith life. But by the time they graduate, that number is reduced to 18%. You have all these young people leaving the faith because they're not getting the answers to the questions that they have. Now, at Benedictine anyway, uh, I'll brag about our school, we'll, we'll survey our seniors. 90% of our seniors will tell you that their faith life increased while they are in college. So we've completely flipped it upside down because we know this happens. We want to be there for them to answer those important questions. And then finally, so you develop lifelong relationships, you make the faith. Young. The third thing that happens is you discover your vocation. So in other words, I don't necessarily mean religious vocation or, or married or single, but what does God have in store for you? Does he want you to be an engineer or an architecture or uh, architect or a nurse or, um, or a doctor or a lawyer or uh, educator, teacher, coach or whatever? That happens in college. All three of those things happen in college. So you need to go to a school that's going to be there to support you uh, it, during that period of time when you're trying to figure out what, what, uh, what your path is, what is your vocation. So for us anyway, when we see these studies, that really matches up with our mission too, right? Develop lifelong relationships. That happens in community. Make the faith your own. Happens in our faith programs. And discover your vocation. That happens in our scholarship or academic programs. So that's why it all works together for us. But I, I guess what I tell tell families is, listen, we'd love to, for you to come to Benedictine College, but God has a plan for you. The plan always works, and so you have to go where kind of where you think that He's leading you. But look for those three things because those are really critically important, and they have an impact on a young person's life, literally the rest of their life. So that's, that's why that's, those, those are three things to look for. That is really rich. I appreciate uh, that. And it's kind of neat to see how it all works together and uh, uh, to form the whole person. Right. I think that's, exactly. that's really great. You know, um, just again, getting back to the context of where we are ministering today, uh, there's an old adage, demographics or destiny. Uh, the National Catholic Education Association just came out with some dire statistics that we've hit the, hit the highest uh, decrease in attendance at Catholic schools uh, this last year. Um, 
the the American Catholic Church is just really struggling with some things. And then in the midst of that, of course, as we've already talked about the pandemic, uh, a lot of the people listening to our podcast are Catholic school leaders who are in the trenches every day, just like you are and like we are. What counsel or advice would you give them uh, to spur them forward in the midst of, of all that we're going through? Yeah, I'm very worried. I was actually surprised. I don't know if you were too. I was surprised to see that stat. I actually thought because of the pandemic and how the Catholic schools had kind of stood up, uh, you know, amidst all of this crisis that they stood up and said, hey, we're going to be in person as much as we can and we're ready to go. I thought that there would be increases actually in the Catholic school. So I was a little saddened by that actually. Um, so I'm nervous about that. We, we've been really blessed, okay, when the around the country they were talking about enrollment increases up to 25% for colleges and universities in America. We actually recorded record enrollment, record freshman class, and record retention. And we've been, you know, we've doubled our enrollment in 15 years. We've built a number of new buildings, and we've had a lot of success. And people will ask me, how, what's the secret? How did you do that? And we've actually uh, pointed to two things, and and you guys, you uh, all these schools can steal them if they want to. Number one, we embraced Our Lady. We consecrated the college to the Blessed Virgin Mary. We reconsecrated the college to her on the five-year anniversary. When we did that, when we consecrated the college to her, we actually literally had a thousand students circle the campus. They prayed a simultaneous rosary, uh, at, and. At the end of that rosary, we gave them Pope-blessed, miraculous medals that they then buried in the ground, and so her graces would surround the entire campus. And we really believe that if you put the college in her hands, great things are going to happen. And so uh, if uh, my first suggestion is consecrate your high school to the Blessed Virgin Mary, great things will ha happen. We've uh, created what we call memorary armies when we were worried about enrollment increases. We uh, enlisted, you know, hundreds of people willing to pray a thousand memoraries apiece for enrollment increases. Mary gave us enrollment increases every time. Uh, and so, and we wanted to, we wanted to build a building. Uh, so we wanted to get, I wanted to get 50 people to pray a thousand memoraries apiece uh, to build this building. And we literally had 375 people sign up to do that. So it works. I mean, it really does work. And we've really embraced the memory and asked her to, for her graces. And she's really done it a great job for us. So number one is if you have an opportunity to consecrate your school to our lady, do that. I've also, uh, as a, as an administrator, uh, I took that pretty seriously, our consecration. And so when I, when a young person applies to Benedictine College. Uh, I get, I'm, I'm the one that signs their letter, accepting them if they get accepted. And as I get their letter, I look at their name. And then as I sign my name, I pray a Hail Mary for each of those students that have been accepted to Benedictine, that Mary will come into their lives and help them on their way. You know, uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe told St. Juan Diego, there are many I could send, but you are the one I've chosen for this task. There are many I could send, but you're the one I chose for this task. And so when I address the freshmen, when they come to Benedictine in August, I say, look, if there's thousands of people just like you all over the country being addressed by the president of their college, and every one of them is saying to themselves, oh yeah, I chose to be here. Oh, I picked this school. 
but at Benedictine College, Mary chose you for that special task. And so I, I, uh, we really rely on her. So the number one thing that we did for our success is we embraced Our Lady and she has just been so wonderful for us. The second thing we did is we embraced our mission we, we, like I said, uh, you, you, I feel like I'm a broken record here, but everything that we do, every decision we made is going to be consistent with that mission. We have a cabinet meeting every week, every day, every week we ask when we have a important decision to make, we ask ourselves, is this consistent with our mission? If it's not consistent, we just won't do it. Okay. And so that's probably the, the those two factors more than anything else. Uh, have really allowed us to succeed. Those are, those are the two things, in my opinion, that will allow you to succeed in this, uh, in all the pressures that you're going to have less stu- less uh, high school age students and less uh, people appear- apparently interested in going to Catholic schools. Uh, embrace Our Lady, embrace your mission, great things will happen to you, in my opinion. Well, President Minnis, we are really glad to have you with us on this program. This has been really rich, and we just thank you for giving us some time today in the midst of all of your busy schedule to uh, just sit down with us and kind of share your heart and, and what's going on. So, again, thank you so much for being with us. Sure. It's my honor, and I would tell you, guys, keep doing what you're doing. Your high schools, I, I would tell you, the kids that we get from your high schools are the cream of the crop. They're the leaders for our school. They're amazing. And so keep doing what you're doing. It's really, really powerful. Thank you. We'll take that as a commission for us to move forward. <laughs> okay. That's good. for yeah. sure. Also for our, our listeners, if you haven't done this already, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a comment to encourage us as we continue with future programs. We would also like to thank our production interns, John Sampson and Alex Shire, along with our production supervisor, Mr. Jack Alsbach, for producing this podcast. And may God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altam Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.